The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Good Night Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Good Night, Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Good Night, Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie surrounding Marilyn herself. And uh, we've got some shout-outs this week. Johnny from San Jose, David from Petaluma, Dan from Paris, France, Lori from Scottsdale, Arizona, Yulia from the U- Ukraine, Bill from Mission Viejo, Brian from Torrance, and Diane from Durham, North Carolina. Hello, Goodnight Maryland fans. As you know, we are growing uh, around the world each and every day, and it is because of you and this story that we are shedding some great light on this mystery that's been haunting many of us for the last nearly 53 years. So we are in season two, Marilyn's last day. So many people surrounding Marilyn's last day of her life. They, most of them are connected, but how? Well, find out today. Good night, Marilyn Radio. We'll be discussing some of those that were involved in the events of August 4th and 5th, 1962 and thereafter. And uh, just so you know, I just want to point this out once again. We are now getting into more of the theories that happened that night that she died versus uh, the facts. So there'll be some facts and we'll point them out to you, but just know that we are in the theory stage. And I think it's really um, easy. I know I do it. I know even the experts do it. We all do it, is that we will say something as if it's true. And uh, so I'm going to do, uh, hopefully do a good job today of discerning, and I know the experts will too, is that we're in theory mode versus facts. Mode. So, uh, just to just to point that out, we have a wonderful guest lineup: multi-talented American actor, dancer, singer George Shakiris. He has led a distinguished international career, with highlights including being awarded as an for an Oscar and a Golden Globe for his role as Bernardo in West Side Story. His body of work has included films, Diamond Head with Charlton Heston. Uh, we have The Big Cube with Lana Turner, The Young Girls from Rockford with Catherine Deneuve. I, I love her. Oh, my gosh. She's just, uh, I mean, this, this man has had a wonderful body of work. And, of course, the iconic Hollywood musical, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes with Our Own Marilyn Monroe. Well, and joining us also later in the hour will be licensed mental health counselor and best-selling author Gary Vitaka Robles. 
icon, the lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe, volumes one and two, as well as Immortal Marilyn's Leslie Kasperowitz. But before we get started, um, well, I've got some some people to thank. I'd like to thank uh, Voice America Radio Network's Randall Libero, our executive producer, who I think is going to chime in today as well. Mike Surgit, our engineer, Jenna Weissman, our talent booker, and of course Haley, who is with us, uh, you know, uh, with us in the studio today, and Jennifer, our social media person. Uh, a lot of those posts that you see on Facebook and Twitter uh, come from obviously our team, but uh, a lot, uh, you know, heads up to uh, Jennifer, who uh, does a lot of our social media. Also want to point out that August 4th, uh, we've changed the date from the 31st to August 4th. We're going to be doing a live event, live radio show from the historical Formosa Cafe. And Vince, who owns the Formosa, says he's going to reveal some secrets of, uh, you know, the Hollywood legends that have come into the Formosa. It's got a great history into itself. But of course, we're going to be celebrating Maryland. I'd love for you to come down, give us your favorite Maryland moment, and uh, you can be live on the air, and we'll have some fun as we celebrate uh, the life of Marilyn Monroe. So with that said, uh, let's get this show on the road. I, of course, have George uh, with me as my first guest. George Shakiris, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad to be here talking with you. It all sounds really interesting. I love what you're doing. Well, thank you. You know, it's it's quite uh, as you know, uh, Marilyn herself is is complex, and it's it's not always easy to discern, uh, you know, the fact from fiction, and uh, that's why I'm I'm so excited you're on the show with us because there's not a lot of many people, not a lot of many people who can actually say I've known Marilyn Monroe, let alone been in one of the most all-time musicals with her, and, uh, you know, you've had an exciting career um, in addition to uh, being on the stage with Miss Monroe. So tell us a little bit about how you got started, and what was your dream in becoming an actor, dancer, and performer? Well, um, let's see, I got... um I got started uh, as a as a, a chorus dancer in you know, in those great Hollywood movie musicals. Um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is one of them, and uh, one of my favorite credits. Uh, it really is to say that I was one of the guys in the Diamonds Are Girls' Best Friend number behind Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> um, so I, I started as a as a chorus dancer, and I worked in in a number of those beautiful. You know, great Hollywood uh, movie musicals of the fifties that we don't see anymore, and um, and then I, I went on from there to uh, to go to New York. I I, I was uh, cast uh, in the London Company of West Side Story, and eventually cast in the movie. But my 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 dream as a kid was was to just do exactly that. You know, I just got lucky. Circumstances kind of were um, were um, what 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 were were. were on the good side, and and so I I made my um, my debut, so to speak, just but as a as a chorus dancer, and then eventually got went on further with my dream to be able to you know sing, uh, be an actor uh, in movies as well in the theater, um, uh, recording, all of the things that I I, I dreamed about doing. I, I when I was a kid, I I didn't know how any of this happened, uh, or, but it, that was my my dream. Um, because, like so many uh, kids, 
I, 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 where we lived, my, my family and I did not, uh, we weren't aware of any theater, but we certainly were aware of movies, and that's what I would look forward to every weekend to, to go to uh, a, a movie. So um, that was the world that I knew about, what didn't know about, but that I, I uh, was part, uh, saw as, uh, you know, in the, in the movie theater. And that was the world that I wanted to be in. I had no, um, real uh, uh, knowledge of how any of that happened, but I just loved that world, that, that imaginary world, and that. And of course it turns out to be much more uh, complicated than just the way I'm saying it, but just that, that dream of being part of that, and, uh, and I, I got lucky uh, with sort of the way things happened to me, and I got to, to be in that world, it's, it, it was, and also to be, as I said again, one of the, one of the guys behind uh, Marilyn in that in that incredible number. That's one of that's one of those beautiful movie musical numbers. I think that's that uh, created by Jack Cole, the great choreographer. Yeah, and, and you are Marilyn loved. Uh, she that's what she always wanted to work with when she did musical uh, things. Um, so it was uh, it was just kind of thrilling to be part of that. And when I look back. I just loved uh, that particular time as well. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you, you know, that. The, the Hollywood musicals and, and, and those great numbers when you were on the set, all the stars were there, of course, and dressed for the number, and the floor was shiny, just as I remember seeing in, in the movies, and, and all the kids were in costume, too. And, you know, the, the, the playback would come out with this fantastic music that we had rehearsed to, and it was just, it's an amazing experience to, to be on the set in that particular way. I mean, I was just a chorus dancer, but, but uh, it was still thrilling. It was just thrilling uh, to, to see the stars having rehearsed. And, and, but that, that moment when, when, when they start actually filming and you're on the set again, I'm sorry, repeating myself, and, and in, you know, in our respective costumes and the stars looking fantastic as they always did, and then that music that we all dance to. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just a wild, wild, fantastic experience. Been, and I'm so glad so, that I got to be part of that uh, just as a chorus dancer. I loved it. I, I bet. And, and, and when you knew you got the part and you knew that you were actually going to be performing, you know, with, the, with many stars, but specifically Marilyn Monroe, what were your thoughts of her during that time? You know who she is today, but what were your thoughts back then in regards to her? Well, you know, back then, um, um, I certainly knew who she was, uh, and, um, but in, in 1954, 1955, um, um, uh, the uh, we didn't, we weren't yet uh, part of, so to speak, of, of her personal life that we heard so much about over the years, and we continue to hear about. Uh, so I, she, she was just this young, incredibly beautiful, um, sweet, quiet. Kind uh, and, and quiet. She was. Uh, I've seen her. I've worked on another movie musical. There's no business like show business. That she was on in as well. And the thing that I always remember about her is, first of all, how sweet she appeared. How quiet she was when she walked in. She came in by herself. She didn't have an entourage. Um, she was very serious 
about her work. She was really uh, dedicated and concentrated on on her work. In rehearsal, she was, again, uh, for the uh, Diamonds of Her Girl's Best Friend number, she was uh, 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 no makeup or anything, but but still... Uh, stunningly beautiful. She was just, uh, she, she, and there was, but it was more than that. You know, we do have to say, I, I think, that with Marilyn Monroe, uh, with her beauty, there's, there's so much more to her that makes us uh, still uh, think about her and care about her and wonder about her and all of these things. Uh, it's, it's just her uh, and. Um, I have so George, to say that as, a, as an audience member, um, I always cared about whatever role she was portraying on the screen. There was something about her personally that made me care about uh, the character she was playing. Um, may, I'm probably straying from your question. Uh, I'm sorry. No, but, no, no, no. You, you're answering it quite well. I want to add a little tidbit to that and ask you, in, in regards to that, you know, here, you know, you cared about what she was saying, but you worked, you know, none of us really, I mean, you know, at least I can't say that, is that, you know, I've worked with many, many of the classic uh, golden era of Hollywood stars. Uh-huh. What do you think makes her stand out versus some of the other stars that were just as, is, uh, you know, maybe talented and beautiful, but there's something about her that is not only st- stood out then, but is standing out today. What do you think that is? Well, I, I, I think it's uh, I think it's who she is as a person that we feel. We may not be able to to define it, um, but but again, uh, you know, when we were working on No Business Like Show Business, um, and uh, the final number uh, included, you know, it was that song uh, with Ethel Merman, Dan Daly, Donald O'Connor, Mitzi Gaynor, and Mel Monroe, all in that final big number with lots of dancers around, you know, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember the day that we we all arrived uh, on the set, you know, in our costumes, you know, ready ready to work. And Ethel Merman was beautiful in that white gown. Mitzi was stunning in that red gown. But I have to say, when Marilyn Monroe just quietly, again quietly, uh, came on the set to work in that blue gown, um, everything else disappeared. Everything else disappeared, and she, she was quiet. She didn't do anything. She wasn't trying to make an impression. She just showed up for work. But she was, she was extraordinary, just as a presence, as a presence. And that's why, to me, I remember thinking that um, that every everybody else, all the other stars disappeared because she was so, uh, so uh, such an interesting. Aura, personality, beauty. There was a kindness and a sweetness about her as well. But but uh, that I always thought. I still do think um, she just. Uh, it's hard to describe these things in in in, in real terms because you don't really yeah. know exactly what it is. But I but I think the bottom line is, it's her. Yes. That's, yes. You know, she, I, I I I've always felt such great. Sympathy uh, and and affection for her, you know. Uh, well, anyway, I'm I'm, I'm um, as a performer and and uh, you know because the the thing that I always think is um, you know we 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 uh, we we're so um, 
uh, and we've learned so much over the years and so on about her personal life, her struggles, um, and so on. And I've, I've thought to myself, what was it like to be her? What a responsibility that was. Uh, and what did she feel? What did she feel? Uh, but one of the things uh, that over the, you know, now and again when I hear anybody talk about Marilyn Monroe, first, you know, in Diamonds, in uh, uh, Diamonds are Girls Best, no, I'm sorry, Gentlemen no, Before no. Blondes, the yep. character she plays, Lorelei Lee, Marilyn Monroe created that character as an actress, as a gifted actress, and she created her so perfectly that a lot of people, I think, still confuse her with Lorelai yes. Lee. She was not yes. Lorelai Lee. That's, a, that's something she created as a, as a gifted actress. Yes. So, you know, the, 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 the dumb slash smart blonde and stuff. And, you know, no, she was... That was not her. That was something she created, and I think we shouldn't confuse her with with a role that she played. We have to give her credit for creating well, that, that role. That also speaks. And that also the speaks other of role how that she created as well. She was gifted, uh, a beautifully gifted artist. Well, and let me ask you this, George: What is one thing that most people wouldn't know about Marilyn um, that they may think just in terms of first glance, but what is something that they don't know about her um, as it relates to her persona and craft? Um, obviously, she, she's talented, but is there anything that you, you personally know that you think, huh, most people don't know this about her? Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the, uh, personally, there's, I, I never knew her, so there, personally, there's, there's nothing I know that you don't know that we haven't you know, talked about for many, many years. There's, uh, there's really nothing I know. Um, so I, I'm left with the same kind of information that we all are. Uh, and, and, but how um, about for her craft? Uh, but, uh, you know, you know there's, there's this like uh, the speculation about this incredible... Yeah, but, yeah, but uh, her craft... Well, woman's, yeah. But, but I, I, there's nothing I personally know that I can uh, tell yeah. you about. Yeah, more like from uh, because you were up close and personal in terms of her craft. Is there anything that, you know, I heard you say that I, I, I wouldn't have th- thought this about her, that she was quiet, that she came in and she was quiet, um, that she came yes, in and she didn't yes. need an entourage. Those are some things that I think most people wouldn't, uh, n- not that they wouldn't think that she would come with an entourage, but they would expect any major star is going to do that. Is there anything else that you you saw during that time that you thought, wow, I wouldn't have expected that from her? Well, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I did see uh, more, more than once. I also, you know, in, um, uh, in no business like show business, um, uh, the choreographer on that movie was a, a, a wonderful man called Robert Alton. And for the heat wave number, Marilyn wanted Jack Cole, and she was absolutely right to want him because he was perfect for her. They had a great collaboration. And... Um, but Robert Alton was contracted, to, you know, he was a famous choreographer, to do all the numbers. So to what he did was he um, created a, a, a number, a heat wave number for, for her to see. And he used uh, his dance and the girl who danced in for her. He staged it on another girl and uh, a guy called uh, Johnny Brasha, who had partnered Vera Ellen on White Christmas. So in his version of a, of a heat wave number, it would be somebody part like this really wonderful guy partnering uh, Marilyn and then there were four guys in the back and I was one of the four guys in, in this what they call uh, in this number that Robert Alton created for her we worked on it for four weeks at those great rehearsal studios at Fox 
and uh, and then the day came in where she was going to come in to see the number. And again, she came in by herself, very quiet, very courteous, and um, you know, not not a big deal of herself when she came in. She just came in. She was not gregarious and showy and flashy. No, she was quiet. And I thought that was wonderful. And I think that says a lot about her. Um, But anyway, she watched the number. We did the number for her. um, And she thanked Robert Alton and his assistants and so on. And then then she left quietly. (laughs) And, uh, And Jack Cole did the number. She got what she, what she got what was right for her because she knew it was right. Uh, and um, Jack, it's an uncredited, Jack Cole is not credited on screen for doing that number, but he did the heat wave number and uh, he was a, a fantastic. Wow. But, well, but what I, I think, you know, she, I think she had probably uh, wonderful, perfect instincts about what was right, what was right for her, and what was probably right for, for the audience as well. And she quietly, I suppose, in, in some way, I mean, obviously she persisted in some way in having Jack Cole do that, that number because that's the way, it, that's what happened. And that's what well, she look, wanted. And that's what she look, got, and I'm so glad she did. <laughs> um, yeah, well, she's, but again, that's, this, that's, uh, I, I would say this. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say persistence, but 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 just a strong instinct as to what That's, was correct and right for her, and what she, the, the way she would uh, felt more comfortable as a performer doing it. Yeah, so she knew what she um, wanted. I, again, and she, I think instinct is a really strong word for all of us, but I think it was, uh, her instinct there, and I use that word instinct. I mean, I, again, I don't know her. I never spoke to her, but but I think her instincts were absolutely 100% correct. You know, she was right. Yeah. Well, you use your instincts to judge her instincts, so there you go. So if there was one word or a couple of words you could describe her, one of them is good instincts, I would imagine. Is there any other words you, two other words you'd use to describe her? Well, I, I think she was um, ethical. I think she was respectful of people around her. Uh, I mean, that's what... What I felt from her, um, she was she was kind of unassuming. Uh, you know, she didn't show up with a lot of hoopla. She just arrived for work or arrived for a rehearsal or whatever. And and uh, and she, I think she was extremely uh, dedicated and concentrated uh, on her, her on her work. That's what matters to her was the, the, the work. That's what matters to all of us. But I've never seen the only other person that I've noticed in, in the time I've been around who people who were uh, uh, perfectionists uh, and uh, really d- deeply concentrated on their work. One was Jerome Robbins, the uh, director choreographer of West Side Story. He was uh, he was kind of like her, and the and 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 she was like him. And and I think the fact that they when they worked, they were. Their caring about their work went went deeper somehow. Just went deeper, uh, and um, I guess I just. Uh, but I felt, I've always felt she was she was respectful of the people around her. I, I noticed that on the Diamonds Are Girls' Best Friend number, of course, when with Jack Cole, but Natasha Lightest, who was on the set because she was Marilyn's coach at that time, <clears throat> and she. Uh, and that's what I feel about her on screen as well. well I just, I just, that's someone well, I just George, really, really like. 
Well, George, I also want to just point out you've had quite a body of work yourself with winning an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor as well as a Golden Globe for your role as Bernardo. That is that is uh, something that, uh, you know, in terms of the history books that you are also uh, embodying. And uh, what a wonderful, I'd love for you if, if you do get a chance to come out on August 4th to join us to share some more stories, not just about Marilyn, but for your long and wonderful career. And I just want to say thank you so much. I'm honored to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much. It's good to be with you. I hope I had something to say. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, Thank you. Thank, thank will... you so much. And, and uh, congratulations on everything you're doing. It's very nice. All right. Thanks again, George. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. I'm Nina Bosky, and we will be back in just a moment with our panel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. I'm your host, Nina Bosky. We're going to get into the discussion of August 4th and August 5th with uh, our wonderful uh, Leslie Kasperowitz, who is back with us. Uh, she is uh, part of Immortal Maryland and is a journalist, as well as Gary Vitaco Robles, uh, his wonderful book, Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. Um, and we're going to go to a caller in just a moment, but uh, just want to give you a little life bite for this week. Uh, it is uh, a quote from Mr. Uh, JFK himself, and uh, it says, as we express our gratitude, we never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. I, uh, I love this because sometimes I think it's really easy to take the people that we know and love 
even our animals, and you know how uh, Marilyn was with her animals, and really feel how much you appreciate them. A lot of you know through Facebook and stuff that my cat Percy died uh, last week. Uh, it was sudden, but he was 17 years old, so he had this wonderful, um, you know, full life. And I did have a chance to love on him and show just how much he meant to me and our little family that we have here. So. What I'd like you to do for this week is to, it may be your son, your daughter, your mother, father, friend, sister, brother, take time to simmer in the appreciation of them, not just a quick appreciation, but really getting into why you love them so. that That's our little life bite for the week is uh, don't just say you appreciate somebody, show you appreciate somebody. So with that said, let's, uh, let's get this panel going. Hi guys, welcome to the show. Hi, Hi, Nina. Nina. Uh, So glad glad to have you uh, here. Um, Phil, you called in for a question. What was your question you had? You had put us, uh, we'll we'll start it right from the top. Uh, uh, You know, go ahead and uh, give us your question and your comments. The interesting thing was, uh, I remember last week uh, when um, I believe you had Paul David on. Yes. He was promoting his documentary. Um, The interesting thing I noticed was that he would first, uh, I don't know if you recall him mentioning Robert Slatzer and Jenny Carmen and so forth. And then he was bringing out as a credible witness, um, Jose Valenos. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, well, I'm not talking about these two. I'm talking about someone like Jose Valenos as a witness. And he was using this to an attempt to confirm, uh, let's say, the, the, ner- the murder scenario. Uh, but then when it was pointed out to him by you, Nina, um, that Jose really wasn't in contact with Marilyn so much after the Golden Globe Awards, he changed his tune. It was like a switch up. And he, he basically said, well, you don't need Balanos to make the case. <laughs> yeah. And my question was, well, mm-hmm. if he didn't need Balanos to make the case, then why was he using him to begin with as a credible witness? All right, good good point. Uh, Leslie, you didn't get a chance to chime in. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to last week's show. Your comment. I did. I did listen to last week's show, and I think this is something we've seen over and over with a lot of the murder theories, is that the minute we discredit one source, um, the, these theorists tend to dig up another one. Um, and we hear a lot of that of there's definitely a strong case, there's definitely a strong case. And the minute you say, okay, where's your hard evidence they start backpedaling. Uh, and I've had this conversation, I think, so many times with a lot of people who believe that Marilyn was murdered. Um, not one of them can come up with any real hard, solid evidence that would stand up in court uh, to prove this. And that is why every time it's been looked at, every time it's been investigated, um, you know, on a legal level, even the uh, reopening of the case in the 80s, and nobody found anything that was strong enough to prove anything. And of course, yeah. you, you get some of the arguments where people will say, well, the Kennedys were so powerful that they were able to cover it up. And that's one of those things where the argument gets backed into a corner. So you're saying we have no evidence because we believe the evidence was covered up. Well, where does that leave us? Pretty much nowhere. <laughs> Lisa, leaves us going in circles quite a bit, let me tell right, you. Right, exactly, exactly. And Gary, how about you? What do you? How do you want to chime in from last week? Well, you were there's, on the, there's just uh, the some show. people who really want to believe in a conspiracy, and they're not interested in evaluating the pieces of evidence and actually doing an investigation, which requires you to kind of have an unbiased sense, an open mind 
to do the evaluation and the assessment. If you're convinced that you're going to have a certain outcome, you will only choose the evidence or uh, speculation that will, will prove your theory. You won't take everything into consideration in a balanced way. So it's, it's kind of a skewed and um, biased um, agenda, actually. Well, and I think that brings up a good point for all of us, and I think it's really easy. You you might have your opinion, and I think that's the important part. I was speaking to a gentleman over this last week, and I couldn't get a, ed, a word in edgewise. It was He was telling me exactly what happened to Marilyn, how it happened, and why it happened, and there was no, and I thought to myself, and you've heard me say this on this show, is were you there in the room? Unless you were there in the room, it's, you know, none of us really know. We're speculating at this point, especially with what we're talking about now. It may be a probable theory. That might be a, a theory, but it's not fact. And that's that's really what was bothering me is like, I don't mind if somebody gives me their opinion. I don't even mind if they say this is my theory. But to come out and make it look like as if it is fact, especially with the Jose comment, you know, we've been spending a lot of time with Jose <laughs> on this show. And, and the reality is, is that we don't know from last week's show if the, the, that his camp contacted the LAPD or if there was something there to make the LAPD want to contact him. That changes the scenario. If, if somebody is, is trying to get publicity and is contacting the LAPD, that's a whole different story. And that doesn't carry a lot of weight, given what we know, that Marilyn and Jose didn't spend a lot of time interacting between, you know, the time of the Golden Globes and the time that she passed. So, uh, you know, Phil, I, I think that's a good point. Is there anything else you want to uh, talk about before we move <clears throat> on to our the rest of the show? Well, I do happen to agree with the other panelists, but... Um, I just want to say that I disagree with the logic that suggests that we should accept some possible scenario based upon things that we don't know, things not in evidence, just because some things could have happened in some unknown way doesn't mean that we need to discard the things that we do know for sure. That's discarding exactly. the known in favor of the unknown for the sake exactly. of what? Appealing to our emotional investment. Exactly. I also think that, um, you know, with this, because it's very complex and we're going to hear us talk about it again, that darn washer, I heard it again this week and I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that darn washer and dryer. Um, And so the reality is if we can at least uh, dispel some of the stuff that we know to be true, that at least allows us to have some type of focus on the things that we still either need to uncover if we can, or be able to toss out because there, it's just, it's, it's not, it's either one never going to be known, or if it is known, it's just not, uh, it's not, uh, you know, we know that it's, it's, it's not valid. So thank you, Phil, for your comments and your questions and just uh, your input and for listening to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. So, uh, so Gary and Leslie, you know, um, and also, Phil, if you're listening to the rest of the show and you want to chime in, please uh, let us know. But uh, And for any of you that want to call in or email us a question, you do from time to time, 1-866-472-5788. So, uh, you know, Leslie, you did kind of address uh, last week in regards to the Paul David's uh, documentary. Is there anything else you want to add before we move on to the August 4th, 11 o'clock hour? 
Um, I think just that, you know, it's it's fairly well known that, that Marilyn was under surveillance at some points of her life. It's well known that she had connections with communists and that during that era, anybody who had any connection with someone who was either suspected or known to be a communist were going to come under, you know, some surveillance of some sort. The fact that there have been files or that Marilyn might have been followed or surveilled, it really proves nothing except that she was friends with some people who were seen as being communists. And and it's been kind of taken and, and run with um, to turn it into something more sinister. But I really don't believe that it was anything more sinister than that. Yeah. And uh, and then, uh, Gary, your comments. Well, so many of those FBI reports, they're, they're not necessarily authentic information. A lot of them are reports about rumors and about leads that came into the awareness of a particular agent who has reported them back to the agency. So, you know, even the Robert Kennedy report that, that Mr. Um, Davids um, brought up last week, you know, the very first page of that report states that the person who submitted it does not know the source and cannot evaluate the authenticity of the information. So there, it's, it's not gospel. It's um, well, just and, information and think- brought to the attention of the department. I think this is an important point because um, unless something could be verified and substantiated, right, we're in that scenario of looping. So for right now, there isn't anything that is uh, substantial that can be verified that's not floating out there on the Internet (laughs) as of right now that we can actually verify for sure. You can read between the lines and you can hypothesize what you think happened, but there isn't anything in there right now that we can discern that can say, okay, this is evidence for sure. Is, am I, am I, uh, am I uh, reading what you guys have just said correctly? I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, okay. I agree as well. Okay, so just, just for everybody listening, if you see documentation floating out there on the internet, it, 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 it could be a theory, it could be reading between the lines, but it's not hard proof yet. If it was hard proof, we'd be in the legal system saying, okay, this is what we know to be true, or it would be verified somehow. And it certainly wouldn't be just floating out there in the internet just for anybody else to see. So I just want to just share that with you. Um, when we look, you know, back in, uh, this is a couple of weeks ago, but we were, we, we kind of uh, were going back and forth between the 11 o'clock hour and then, you know, uh, from the time that uh, the police were called. And in the first, uh, you know, the first version of what happened to her, there was only, you know, an hour to a half hour or so, you know, in the middle of the night um, that, you know, uh, Eunice Murray, you know, supposedly, you know, the light went on and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, She's called Dr. Greenson, and then within that hour or so, they called the police, right? Um, But that isn't necessarily, you know, the police were dispatched, incomplete uh, phone records, toxic toxology tests and digestive organs were never done. That's that's also the challenge, and it kind of creates that, oh, something fishy is going on here, right? So, so you know, when you look at Jack Clemens, and, and Gary, you and I have talked about this, you know, offline because of this washer-dryer thing, and uh-huh. I'm going to um, ask the Maryland fans because maybe they know something that we don't know, okay? The only person that I can can, and maybe the two of you know, the only person that I can verify that talks about a washer and dryer is Jack Clements. Is there anybody else that could verify this washer and dryer story? 
Not that I'm aware of. That uh, originated with Clemens, and it didn't originate with him until many, many years later. He didn't start talking about that until the 80s. Interesting. And how about you, Gary? Same thing? Yeah, it, it's the, the original man who created um, all of the, the outline of the series is a man by the name of Frank Capel. And he published them in 1964 himself. Um, like It was a pamphlet called The Strange Death of Marilyn Monroe. And Jack Clemens was one of his witnesses. But um, Clemens did not really reveal his story until um, Robert Slatzer interviewed him for the 1974 book that Slatzer published. And then Jack Clemens became the man that we saw in all the documentaries who he's the only officer who's ever um, reported to have been on the scene. And then he makes this very provocative statement that Marilyn was murdered. And then the story has grown into the washer and dryer and whether there was a light on and, and suspicious behavior among the witnesses. But he's only one man of probably eight officers who touched the case. And, well, and, and also, of- and, and Gary, what you're saying is, is important because what we do know is that Jack Clemens, a year or two after, um, not only did he resign, but he, you know, he, he kind of loses his credibility in the sense that he was, um, he was uh, forging documents, right? He was arrested. Yeah, he's a very controversial figure. So of all the officers, he's the one who kind of veers from the ori- original story that the rest of them supported. But he's the only one that, that my research revealed had been arrested. Um, and there was there was a legal case where he and Frank Capel, that same man who wrote The Strange Death of Marilyn Monroe, they were both um, before a grand jury in, in 1965 because they circulated um, uh, libelous information about um, Senator Tom uh, Keekle. And uh, they were arrested, and, and the reports state that either um, that, climate, that Clemens either resigned shortly before his arrest or, you know, other articles read that the DA dropped the charges against him in exchange for his resignation from, from the force. So this is pretty sketchy uh, information that's been reported in Time magazine and, um, and, and, and other periodicals. Um, well, Clemens was it- a... Go on. No, I was going to say, you know, you're making a really good point. And I think for a lot of people, I know, you know, I watched the documentaries. There's another one on the Reels channel the other the other night. There's certainly a lot of information and people um, like to just uh, re uh, reutilize information. So that Jack Clemens one, it, because he was LAPD, right? It, it mm-hmm. looks like it's the authority. It looks like he's telling the truth. And I'm not saying he wasn't. I mean, I don't know if they're... We're still trying to find out about that washer and dryer, right? But he's <laughs> the only one. And it would be really nice. And I'm certainly going to, uh, you know, appeal to the LAPD in terms of those records. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could see exactly, um, you know, what their comments were that night? Leslie, is there any documentation to exactly from the, uh, and maybe Gary, you know this too, from the other LAPD officers, what was going on and what was happening in the, in the surrounding areas like the wash being done? 
Uh, as far as I know, no other officer has ever stated that the wash was being done. It doesn't appear in um, Sergeant Byron's report, um, and he would be the officer who took over from Clemens um, and did the rest, uh, completed the investigation. We have to remember that Clemens was only on the scene for less than half an hour before the case was taken over. He was not the official investigating officer. He was just the person who happened to answer the phone call um, and arrived on the scene, and he was not a detective. He was not um, somebody who had a lot of experience investigating murder scenes. Um, so when you when you listen to him talk about what he uh, he felt about the scene, he'll say he felt like the scene was staged and that sort of thing. You have to remember that that's not necessarily coming from someone who was an expert on what a suicide or murder scene would look like. Um, and then the other thing I'd like to say about the washer and dryer and is that even if we could prove that Murray was in fact doing laundry, that doesn't necessarily point to anything sinister. Uh, Eunice Murray also began cleaning out the fridge so, so that food wouldn't spoil, uh, began gathering her things that she had at the home uh, because the home was going to be sealed and she didn't know when she was going to get back in. So there's not even necessarily anything sinister about doing the laundry if in fact she was. Yeah, the only thing is, is it's odd. It's odd doing laundry in the middle of the night. But yes, I, 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 I to your point, it's kind of like one doesn't mean the other. It doesn't mean anything bad was happening. Somebody just decided they were going to do the laundry, which is odd. But yes, I it do. It is odd. I do it's absolutely odd. But it doesn't necessarily prove anything, even if we could prove she was doing the laundry. Yes. And yes. It's nowhere Less- documented in any of the reports that have been released by the the two men that worked the case. And, you know, I think Leslie brings up a really good case, a point that Jack Clemens was the first responding officer. But the newspaper also says that two other radio patrolmen pulled up behind him in another vehicle. And so there were three men in the house for about 15 to 20 minutes before Detective Sergeant Robert Byron and, and Sergeant Marvin Iannone actually took over to investigate the case. So any initial suspicions that Byron... Um, might have um, sensed were never written down in reports that we've seen. We do know, though, that he made a phone call to James Doherty, Marilyn's first husband, and um, he, he himself reports this, and so does Doherty, and his message to Doherty was that, you know, your former wife, Norma Jean, it looks like she died of an overdose. So he didn't um, reveal any suspicions back in 1962 to his friend, um, James Doherty, who had a connection so, to the LAPD and that he was one of the first gentlemen that created the, um, the SWAT um, protocol. So let me ask you a question, if I hear this correctly, Gary, is that you're saying that before Robert Byron and who was the other guy that came on to um, the other um, officer? Marvin Iannone, who eventually became the chief of police of Beverly Hills. Okay, and then, so so those two came after Jack, but you're telling me that there was two other police officers? Yeah, there were two came- radio um, patrolmen, and this is, this is from, um, like, the Los Angeles uh, Times, and the, these are, you know, national newspaper coverage indicates that he was there and two other patrolmen. And in, in some of my research, you know, Frank Kappel, although he, he um, uh, produced the, the strange death of Marilyn Monroe that had some uh, speculation in it, he did have some um, names of other officers as well, so he obviously had access to legitimate information. He he known he names an officer McGuire, an officer Coran, and an officer Gillis. So I'm not sure if if any of those three men were one of the two who arrived uh, initially. But we know that the yeah. case was taken over by Byron and Iannone, and um, 
uh, Lieutenant Grover Armstrong is, is also um, signing off on some of the documents. Yeah, no, I just think that this is uh, really an interesting, I mean, it's, it's again, it's like, you know, who's saying what, when are they saying it? Did they say it right there when she, she passed? But, you know, Leslie, when you told, you said that it was until years later that he came out with this, again, that just, it, 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 it just speaks of why is it that you didn't say it right afterwards? You know what I mean? Because, you know, the truth is the truth, you know, the person was doing laundry, boom, boom, boom write that down. You know what I mean? So it just, uh, you know, it goes to the holes that we're dealing with in this case. And again, it kind of fuels the fire for speculation. So is there anything else you guys want to add before we kind of move on to, uh, well, you know, um, uh, yeah, go I ahead. would like to just add about uh, Jack Clemens and possibly having, having an agenda because when, when he speaks about this murder theory so many years later, he implicates, um, Robert Kennedy. And when he was arrested back in, in the mid-60s for um, uh, the conspiracy to circulate libel and the forged document, he was actually going after another liberal um, politician at the time, Senator Keekle. So, you know, he seems driven um, by his uh, political convictions with an agenda to um, uh, cast uh, doubts upon a public figure. Whereas the other LAPD officers, and let's just speak, uh, you know, there's a lot of really wonderful LAPD officers out there. And wouldn't Absolutely. that be wonderful if we could, you know, do a little bit of research um, and actually uh, find out from the either the reports or from, uh, at this point, it might be family members in terms of, uh, you know, their their thoughts and uh, and uh, feelings right after the, the, the you know, um, the August 5th date, but also... Um, um, if there's any other evidence from any other officers, given the fact of the track record with uh, Jack Clemens. So for those of you who are listening, you know, you've seen all these documentaries out there. You know, Jack Clemens, and I'm always one to don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? There might be some element of truth in anything that somebody is saying. But I think you now just have to have a more skeptical ear when you start to to hear what Leslie said, which is, you know, years later he started talking about this. Why wasn't he saying? that right right exactly when it happened. That's the thing that always bothers me um, when, you know, people say, oh, I've talked to her and I was talking to her the night before. And then, you know, you see in a newspaper article or whatever that somebody says, oh, you know, I haven't talked to her in months or, you know, um, you know, completely opposite of what they're saying years later. So this is this is important information as we start to, you know, really, uh, you know, break down fact uh, from fiction, probable theory from outlandish rumor. All right. So um let's let's get back to you know one of the things that is really challenging here and i just want to say you know gary you've done a great job in terms of accumulating you know what what uh, you know certain uh, estate records etc and thank you to the maryland fans for being able to provide uh, more stuff we're back to the phone records, those wonderful phone records. And I love the fact that you saw, you know, from her estate, you know, the bill that came in. But to me, yeah. that just seems, you know, I, I, I read something in the 1982 um, district attorney's report that they either had the outgoing calls or the incoming calls, but they didn't have both. And I thought that was kind of strange. Uh, Leslie, do you know anything about that? Um, well, what was noted initially, if you go right back to the, when Sergeant Byron arrives, um, one of the first things he does is check on, on the phones. And in his report, he states that no calls were made from Maryland's phone uh, 
during the out he says during the hours of this occurrence in the report, but I think they're saying during the time um, when they believe that Marilyn was dead or dying. Um, and then they say that they are going to check on the other phone. So she has two phone lines in her house. They're in the process of checking on calls made from the other phone. But as far as I know, there's no follow-up on that. I don't know if Gary knows more than I do uh, as to whether or not there was ever any information reported as to whether they did follow up on those calls. Um, so well, the I, phone I have... The, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I do remember seeing in Anthony Summers' book um, a reproduction of, of, of her phone calls. And I, and I don't uh, know where he obtained that from or, or if, they, if that was authentic. But I, I have wondered if, if that was the result of, of what was written in that police report. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, that's again going to be key because it talks about, you know, if, if the people that she was talking to, right, um, they were calling her or she was calling them. It just says also that there's incomplete records. And I think that's a, a you know, an interesting one. And also that they were confident, you know, that somebody came in and took the file. Well, is that really true? I, again, the, these things that are floating out there that really don't have uh, a lot of merit. And when you go to, you know, Leslie, you made a good point at the beginning of the the show you know, if you go to break it down and go, okay, where is it coming from? It seems that that's where it kind of blows up in smoke. And that's that's the challenge. And we're getting into some gray areas right now. So, Leslie, a couple of weeks ago, you did this for the audience. And I'd, I'd, I'd like you to do it again, if you could. Um, the official version for how Marilyn, the timeline, um, would you just go, go briefly through that for us so we know this is just the official version. Next week we'll get into some of the other versions of, of what happened to her, but what's the official version? The official version, as reported by Sergeant Byron um, in his report, is that Mrs. Murray um, uh, has uh, gets worried and uh, checks on Marilyn and sees the light under her door. Um, and this is a, of concern to her. So she then calls Dr. Greenson, and this is at about 3.30 in the morning. Uh, Dr. Greenson asks her if she has pounded on the door or looked through the window, and she says that she has not. So she leaves to go do this, and this is when she looks through the window, uses the fireplace poker to pull back the curtains and sees Marilyn on the bed. Um, so she calls Greenson back, and the report states that Greenson says he had already dressed at this point in time um, and comes directly to her house, arriving at 3.40. Uh, he then breaks the window with the fireplace poker and gets into the room and finds Marilyn dead. At this point, they call Dr. Engelberg, who arrives at 3.50 and pronounces Marilyn dead. And then at 4.25, the call comes in to the police department. So that's the official timeline as far as when uh, she, they state that they have found Marilyn dead to the time that the police are called. Okay. I think that's a good timeline for us to, you know, we've kind of played that one out in regards to the official, you know, kind of timeline. Next week, what I'd like us to do is kind of get into some of the other theories that start to, and they are theories, they're not facts, guys, um, theories in what could have happened, the ambulance being called, etc. Um, Gary, do you want to add anything before we close today? Um, I guess just one point that... Um uh, Greenson has uh, Murray call Engelberg um, before he sets off to arrive at the home. So it gives um, Engelberg a little bit more of a, of a, a lead time um, to arrive since he is coming from the furthest distance. 
Got it. And how about, Leslie, anything else you want to add in regards to this timeline? No, just simply that that we are in, like you said, theory and speculation from the last known phone call to come into Marilyn's house, which is um, Rudin talking to Eunice Murray around 9 o'clock, up until um, we have the phone call to the police. That's really, that entire time frame is we're going off, uh, you know, people's word at that point, and that's where you start to get into a lot of speculation. So these are the hours here now where anybody can say anything happened, and you have to start looking at the sources, see who's credible and who is not. Very good point. So next week we'll pick up, but we're going to start looking into the other theories, not facts, other theories of what uh, other, other, uh, you know, timelines are that uh, may have happened that night. And again, it's a May. Um, I want to thank you both for being on the show today. I also want to get into next week, the key to her room, the lock on her door, et cetera. You know, just like the washing machine, that one keeps uh, coming up. And some people say the door was never locked. It never could be locked. Some people say Say that it, it was locked. Some people say there was a, a, a deadbolt, so there was no need for a key. Let's uh, explore that uh, that uh, little tidbit of information as well. So I'd like to say thank you so much, Leslie Kasperowitz, for being on the show today. You are going to be off next week, right? Or are you going to be back with us next week? I, my, my plans seem to have changed, but I think that I will be available next week. Beautiful. And then we'll have Gary Vitaco Robles back with us, and we will continue the discussion and the conversation. Invite you for your feedback and comments. Thank you so much. And remember, join us on August 4th at the Formosa Cafe, 11 a.m. Pacific Coast time. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio. And remember, never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week.